Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 696 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Michelle, who's had diabetes for well over 40 years, but most recently has had a kidney and pancreas transplant. She's here today to tell us all about it. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip series, it begins at episode 210 in your podcast app. You can also find it at juiceboxpodcast.com, diabetesprotip.com, or a complete list of the Pro Tip series and other series on the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes, up at the top in the featured section. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe in a podcast app and tell a friend. This episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. The InPen is a reusable smart insulin pen that uses Bluetooth technology to send dose information to a mobile app, and I'll be telling you more about it later in the program. You can also go to InPenToday.com to find out more. If you have type 1 diabetes and are a U.S. resident or are the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, complete the survey, and just like that, you've helped people with type 1 diabetes and supported the Juice Box podcast. They're going to ask you incredibly simple questions about type 1. You'll know the answers. They're not going to be difficult. The entire thing will take less than 10 minutes. It is completely HIPAA compliant and absolutely anonymous. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. I am Michelle. I have been a type one diabetic for 45 years. And in May of this year, I had a kidney pancreas transplant. So that's why I'm on to talk. Hi, Michelle. 45 years. All right. This is oddly going to be easy because (laughs) it's 2021. So I just take 20 away, right? And now I'm down to 25 years. Then I take the one away. I'm down to, no, wait. Then I'll take 20 more away. I get down to 1980. And what am I left with? Five? Did you, were you diagnosed in 1975? 76. Damn, look how close I was. (laughs) You were close. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling pretty good about that. All right. um, That's, you know, I was born in 1971. Wow. How old are you? I am 59 years old. Wow. Well, you weren't born that much before me. 1962. I, so I was going to say that. A little bit. Yeah, would have ruined <laughs> I'm, the I'm proud to be this old. I'm lucky to have lived as long as I have. I'll tell you right. Now, that I know you're saying that because you have diabetes, right? Right. And exactly. when you were diagnosed, I, I, I don't have diabetes. And I feel the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> I got up this morning and I was like, I had my pants, right? And my back is stiff, as it always is. And I think to myself, do I like 
go for it and just like pick my leg up like a person and stick them through? Or do I <laughs> or do I just lean on something just to make sure I don't stumble? That's pretty sad, but yeah. understandable. <laughs> <laughs> People won't understand till they get older, right, Michelle? Exactly. Okay, gives them something to look forward to. I um look forward to <laughs> having to consider putting your pants on. <laughs> It's okay. a struggle some days. Yeah. <laughs> I am I am determined to to fix this somehow. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm thinking about different exercises to strengthen. I'm trying different stretches, but I just my back has hurt since I was like 20 years old. So uh, I would like that to stop one day. I would just yes. like to get up one day and not think about that. But I'm complaining to a person who had a couple of their organs pulled out and replaced with other <laughs> organs. So why don't I stop that? And ask you a little bit about what it was like to have diabetes for 45 years. Well, I was diagnosed at 14. So that was interesting because you're, you know, getting right into those teenage years. And now something's wrong with me, which was very shocking um, because I had been healthy, pretty healthy up to that point. So, you know, I diagnosed, spent a week in the hospital, went home. I only saw a primary care physician and I would see him once a year. So he would do a fasting blood sugar and send me on my way for with my one shot a day of beef, pork, insulin. So it, it went on like that, boy, for probably 10 years or so. Um, a friend of mine was diagnosed a couple years later. She was, she was a semi-close friend, but not real close. And she came back from being diagnosed and was like, you know, you have a lot to do. And I'm like, not really. I take a shot a day. That's pretty much it. That's all I have to do. <laughs> so um, I went for, on for many years, really kind of living a normal life. Um, with this one shot a day that I had to do. Yeah. But what was testing like then? Like, how were you measuring success or, or were you not? I basically was not. So they showed us how to do the urine test. But to me, it made no sense at all to do that because I couldn't do anything about it. So if but it came back high, what do I do? There was, re there was really nothing I could do. They didn't really talk about increasing insulin or decreasing insulin. You know, they had me on the one shot a day. So um, it was very interesting. So you could, so you take this injection and then their advice was to do the urine test strip. And then, but then no matter how the test came back, there was no next step. Exactly. Exactly. So I had to eat at certain times during the day because you'd have those peaks and valleys for the insulin. Um, but I'm a pretty relaxed person. So I wasn't on a strict schedule. It was more if I felt like I was needed to eat something, I would eat something. My mother would make me breakfast every morning. So I would have breakfast right away. But mm -hmm. beyond that, I pretty much lived a normal life. Okay. All right. And how long with high blood sugars? Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. And do you, were were those urine tests usually high? Uh, when I did them, but I quit doing them pretty quickly after diagnosis. 
Oh, okay. I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> I hear you. Um, so I get that. How many years do you think that you did that? Just didn't just did that shot and test. And did your doctor ever up your insulin, like based on like weight gain or age or anything? I just saw him once a year and I don't remember him adjusting it. It was always like, you're doing fine. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and like I said, he was a primary physician. I didn't even know about endocrinologists at the time. So he, you know, diagnosed everything from diabetes to cancer to everything in between. Hmm. Okay, and, hold on a second. Wait, 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 hold on. Say, say that again for me. You saw him? From 1976 to probably through college. Okay. So 81, 82. So he's not an endocrinologist. He's just a. No. Okay. And just a primary care. And what general other, practitioner. What other issues did you have during that time? Um, Really none. None. Okay. All right. So he just didn't do anything. You just kept injecting, staying high, injecting, staying high. So when did the, I'm, a, I'm guessing that the technology changed somewhere and you changed with it or no. I changed insulin. So I went to the, you know, the synthetic insulin versus the beef pork mm -hmm. um, when that was available. I saw my first endocrinologist in the 80s because I went to, was going to grad school and I lived with my brother and sister-in-law and my sister-in-law was a nurse. So she recommended seeing an endocrinologist, which I went to. Um, his reaction <laughs> was pretty much, if you don't fix this, you're going to die. <laughs> okay. And I, because he had me start doing finger tests. So like at that point, the finger testing was available. So I would do it and he had me doing it three times a day. And it was always in the 200s. Mm -hmm. But again, he didn't tell me what to do. It was a little bit longer till they had that sliding scale where if your sugar's this, take a shot. If it's this, take a shot. Yeah. So um, he didn't really give me a whole lot of information. So, did so you, I'm go sorry, ahead. Did you, do you remember having any feelings about the information that you had gotten prior from the other doctor at that moment? When he it was you? kind of shocking. It was like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something differently. <laughs> I didn't know. I had, I really didn't know. And, but I thought I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I, you know, do my shot a day and um, go on with life. I was went all through college that way. Yeah. Um, did my shot a day. If I like spent the night at my friend's house or something, I'd just go back in the morning and take my shot. Are, <laughs> so it was just kind of a, you know, yeah. crazy time. Are you, especially your, now with all the technology that's available and what you can see now, were you in your mid twenties at that point when you switched the insulins? I was mid twenties. And then shortly after that, I was diagnosed with retinopathy. Wow. So that really scared me. Yeah. Yeah. When you first get the, Hey, you're going to die. If you don't do something, talk, do you even believe it? I was kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> like <laughs> I've been living this way all this time. No one's ever told me anything differently, but I did what he told me to do. Like I, I'm a rule follower. So he told me to, you know, do this testing. So I did mm -hmm. change the insulin. I did. Um, so 
that was my life. But, you know, once the retinopathy came out um, and I was dating somebody and at that point it was like, oh, I need to do something about this because I don't want to go blind. So, you know, I had laser surgery in both eyes and that was probably 87. And, but I haven't had any eye issues since. So they have been stable since then. I've got a lot of laser burns in the eyes, but um, the blood, the, the eyes have been very stable. Okay. Okay. Wow. Uh, that's crazy. Um, okay. So you're, you're, so you're still doing it now. So now you're testing and you see your blood sugars higher, but it takes more time to even get to the point where doctors are talking about making adjustments once you see your blood sugar. Well, right. I mean, we, they had the sliding scale. So then I would use that. Okay. About that point, what point in your life do you think the sliding scale popped up? That was probably 85, 86. 85, 86. Okay. That's okay. But it all makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just thinking back to when my friend was diagnosed in like 88. And I'm just putting the pieces together kind of backwards from what you're saying to this. Um, Mm -hmm. That all that all lines up for me really well. But so when the retinopathy laser surgery in the 80s. Yes. uh, what, What was that like? (laughs) <laughs> it was a bright light flashing in your eyes. Um, I probably had three times on my right eye, two times on my left eye. They would give a shot to numb the eye, kind of underneath, not in the eye. And you would see bright flashes of light. I didn't like it, um, but I didn't want to go blind. So, you know, I kept going back for those. Yeah. And that, and that, Plus, I'm imagining your control started getting better as well. Right. Okay. I, you know, just because now I'm seeing a endocrinologist, I'm seeing a regular doctor. Then I met my husband in 87. We got married in 88. So he was there through the time frame of the laser surgery. And, you know, shortly after that, I started talking about having a baby. Now my endocrinologist was like, I don't have time for you. <laughs> so he ended up sending me, I'm in Cincinnati. He ended up sending me to University of Cincinnati Hospital that had a clinic for diabetics. And they were, it was a study kind of measuring the effects of high blood sugar and low blood sugar on children that were born. So I entered that study and the doctors there saw me all, you know, quite often even before I got pregnant to get the blood sugars more in line, but they were probably A1C was probably still in the eights and nines at that point. I am fascinated that you, there was a time where you could say to a doctor, Hey, I'm going to have a baby. And they're like, yeah, get out of here. (laughs) I I don't want to be involved in this. (laughs) But but also that he sent you to a study. Do you think he sent you to the study? Cause they're like, well, this lady's going to provide good data if she gets pregnant, or do you think the study was meant to help you? I really think that he, I, I, I think he didn't have time to deal with me and my blood sugars. So he sent me to the study so they could deal with me are, instead. Michelle, <laughs> all right, Michelle, are you telling me that, that, that standard care wasn't very adjusted and you were trying to figure out something greater I believe once I knew better, I believe I stayed on top of 
technology and things like that. Um, when I was pregnant with my first son, the nurse there had started wearing an insulin pump mm-hmm. and she suggested I get on it. But at that point I didn't know how those worked. So I had my first child in 91. So I didn't know how the pumps worked and my belly was so big. Like, how is that going to fit on my belly? Cause it was Medtronic back then. Um, so I didn't start that till probably 93, 94, maybe, ni- maybe 95 on the Medtronic pump. Okay. Wow. That's a, that's really a tale. And now, and you're still just at, I mean, did you, did you end up having a baby? I had two sons. They were both healthy, healthy. Mm -hmm. They were big babies, but, but I was a big baby. So I'm, I'm sure part of it was the diabetes, but part of it was um, just having the genetics to have big babies. My first son was 10 pounds or nine pounds, six ounces. And the second one was 1013, but I was 11 and a half when I was born and my mother was not diabetic. Mm-hmm. Any other diabetes or endocrine issues in your family? Yes. So my brother, I'm the youngest of eight. My brother who is eight years older than me was diagnosed at 14 as well. Um, but he kept it really private. And he saw the same doctor as I did. So he had to boil his insulin needles and, you know, reuse the the needle every day. So it wasn't a big shock when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all tested when he was diagnosed and none of us had it at that point. But I kind of had a feeling in the back of my mind that I was going to get it someday. No kidding. I don't know why. But um, so when it was diagnosed, I wasn't happy, but it wasn't a big shock. But again, I didn't see him living a very different lifestyle other than, you know, taking his shot every morning. Well, yeah, there was a lot of um, like just masked ignorance, right? About what was going exactly. on. Yeah. How? And the funny thing is we're, we're a very smart family. We're not dumb. So it just, the information wasn't available. You didn't have Google. You didn't have, if your doctor wasn't telling you, you didn't know. It just didn't exist. Yeah. It, it just, it, you were doing the best that, that was available to you. Exactly. Yeah. How is his health generally? Um, his is not as good. He um, lost a leg. Um. And he has trouble getting around now. He's still alive. So he's eight years older than me, 67. 67. Yeah. Um, but not very healthy. Okay. Uh, did he ever make the switch like you did? <laughs> he finally, he, he got on an insulin pump. Gosh, I don't even know, 10, 15 years ago. Wow. But it was much later than I did. And then he did try he stayed with Medtronic and he did try their CGM um but really didn't use it very often Mm -hmm. and I talked him into the Dexcom and I'm not quite sure how often he uses it he doesn't like to talk about his health so we don't spend too much time talking I understand okay uh well I appreciate you sharing that with me though that's it's valuable information for the for the big picture so that's one um, pretty much everyone, all my siblings have thyroid problems one way or another, either low or high thyroid. 
Uh, I have a nephew with type one diabetes and there's talk about an uncle that had diabetes, but there was, it was never very clear about whether he was type one, type two, or Hmm. what, how that was related. Michelle, what about genealogy? Where are your people from? We are from Slovakia and Poland, half of each. Interesting. Thank you. My Uh, grandparents actually came from those countries. My wife's mother, grandmother, my wife's mother's mother is Polish and she had celiac. And they called it the sprue. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new one. I guess at some point it was referred to, let me check, celiac sprue. I think it's been kind of like rebranded as celiac disease. Hmm. Yeah, but at some point it was called celiac sprue. That was kind of the the general term for it. And my, uh, my, my wife's grandmother, who was a generally unpleasant person, just she like she'd be like I have the sprue I can't eat that and it kind of <laughs> went like that <laughs> so uh, that's great <laughs> um it really it really hurt her at the end of her life because she finally I think she finally gave over to the dieting but way late and huh. and it just then she was so old that the dieting for celiac I don't think she was doing it well and she just lost so much weight towards the end of her life um, right but anyhow okay. So that's a lot, but I understand. I appreciate you filling me all in on it. Now let's get to the fun stuff. <laughs> when does, Michelle, when does shit really get upside down? Because <laughs> I'm assuming it happened at some point if you ended up with a transplant, right? So here you are, a person who doesn't want an insulin pump, but would like more functionality than a regular old insulin pen offers. If this describes you, you are the exact right person to go to inpentoday.com forward slash juice box and check out today's sponsor, InPen, from Medtronic Diabetes. Here's what you get when you buy the InPen. First of all, it's incredibly affordable, and that's important. Secondly, you're getting a a well-built insulin pen, and that too is important. But here's where InPen separates themselves from other pens. The InPen has an app and it speaks to the app with Bluetooth and keeps track of things like your current glucose, your dose calculator, active insulin remaining, meal history, dose history, glucose history, activity log, and reports. That's right, my friend. The InPen gives you some of the functionality that people get with an insulin pump active insulin remaining. That's insulin on board. There's a thing you thought you could only get with an insulin pump, but it turns out it's also available with InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. Head over now to InPenToday.com to find out more. Do a little scrolling and you'll get to the part of the webpage that says pay as little as $35 for the InPen. This is an offer available to people with commercial insurance and terms and conditions apply, of course, but this could be you, a $35 insulin pen that has a companion app that keeps track of things that you want to know about. Do you know the InPen app even allows you to manually log your long-acting insulin doses and set up dose reminders for your long-acting insulin? It actually does that. Isn't that crazy? Oh, InPen, what have you not thought of? 
Here's a couple other little things the InPen does. Are you wondering if the InPen allows integration with the Guardian Connect system? Well, yes, it does. The integration is compatible with both iOS and Android devices. However, you should check your compatibility for both the Guardian Connect system and the InPen app prior to ordering. So go get yourself the InPen from Medtronic Diabetes and have an app that shows your active insulin on the home screen and allows you to pair as many InPens to the app as you want. This enables the flexibility for you to have one InPen at home and another at work or school. Are you kidding me? InPenToday.com. Links in the show notes of your podcast player and links at juiceboxpodcast.com. But I think you can remember it. InPenToday.com. That's my link. You go to that, find out everything you need to know, get started with the InPen. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed, or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, visit InPenToday.com. Okay, so I mean, other complications along the way, I've had probably almost all my fingers operated for trigger finger. I had frozen shoulders and both shoulders over time. Mm -hmm. But see, again, you know, once, once I got pregnant, once I was past that, I would stay up on technology. I, I, you know, I got the insulin pump as soon as I could. I got the CGM as soon as I could switch to Omnipod. I think I got the CGM in 2011. Yeah. Um, got the Omnipod in 2013. Um, so you, stem, so, you, you know, stemmed the time. I tried to stand up. Yeah, yeah, no, you did exactly what you hear me talking about, right? Like I'm always saying, you know, pay attention to new technology. You don't want to be using the last generation of stuff. You know, keep up with what people are doing. You know, don't switch just to switch, but when it makes sense, you got to keep up because, you know, as we move forward, better technology is going to equal better results and better results are going to equal better health. And right. yeah, exactly. and, and you, you saw that and you got to it. Your, um, your brother either didn't see it or didn't care to see it. One or the other. And he was eight years earlier. So, yeah. you know, a lot of damage had been done by the time the technology came around. Oh, okay. So you still felt hopeful you think when, when this stuff was available to you, like I can still do something about this for myself. I never thought, I never thought I had a shortened life or anything like that. I, I really just thought, okay, it's just another piece of me and something I have to deal with hmm. as I move forward. Yeah, you have- um, so, so the eyes shocked me. And then over time, it's, it's been a slow progression with the kidneys. So, you know, you get, a test at the endocrinologist, oh, your your creatinine levels are higher than they should be. And that went on for years. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, I finally said to my doctor, I'm like, should I be seeing a kidney specialist? And he's like, yeah, you could do that if you want, you know, as, as the numbers were creeping higher and higher on the creatinine levels. Michelle, test me. So, nephrologist? Nephrologist, yes. Thank you, Grey's Anatomy. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw him, and I'm not quite sure how many years I saw him, but I'm still feeling good through all this time. And I didn't really, I, I really never felt bad. 
Okay. You know, I still exercise. I still do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. I eat right. Um, so then at the, in January of this year, the GFR, which is what they look at to determine if you need to go on dialysis or um, have a transplant, it went to 20 or 18 beneath 20. So once it's 20, then you're eligible to get a transplant. So I'm still feeling pretty good. Um, but I knew dialysis is can really be damaging to people. Yeah. So I went to four different hospitals and started just applying for transplants. So I contacted you when I was still in stage four kidney disease. Right. Um, and everything went pretty quickly. So I had to have a majority of tests. I, you know, you had to make sure your teeth are good. You have to make sure your heart is good. You have to make sure you get a stress test, a colonoscopy, like every test in the world, MRIs, CAT scans. They've done every test on me in between January and May. May the end of May, I was finally listed at a hospital for a kidney pancreas transplant. Actually, two of the hospitals would list me. One didn't want to because they thought I was too old. But the one I finally went with was really happy with the condition that I was in. They see, they said they see a lot of people younger than me that are in a lot worse condition than I was. Oh, no kidding. So I was listed. And three days later, I got a call to get a pancreas kidney transplant. Mm, wow. So it was so quick. <laughs> Michelle, let me tell you something. So have you heard me talk about my friend, Mike, who's passed? Yes. Okay. So when he realized he needed kidneys, when he started doing dialysis, I would say to him, like, you know, are you on the list? You know, get on the list. And he would always say, I can't. It's hard. There's money. It's insurance. It's this. And he, it always felt like, like too big for him to conquer the process. And then hmm. you just described how important it was. Like, like you went after this. Right. Yeah. I didn't wait. <laughs> like, you just were like, I am going to go find out how to make this happen for myself. Exactly. Oh, good for you. Wow. Okay. So, right. Because the first couple hospitals I called, they said, no, we don't do any kidney pancreas under over 50. Mm-hmm. If you're over 50, we don't do it. So then I started doing more research, calling around, asking. And one of the hospitals I actually went with told me that they do do pancreases over the age of 50, but they wouldn't list me for that. They would only list me for kidney. So, oh, wow. So this is exactly what he used to talk about. Like they, and it always sounded like some people say they'll do both. Some people say they won't, blah, blah, blah. Like, and, and so you just had to keep looking to find somebody to do both. Exactly. Michelle, do you not have diabetes anymore? (laughs) You know, I asked that question yesterday. I'm like, am I type one diabetic still? (laughs) So the answer is yes, I am still diabetic controlled with a pancreas transplant, but I have not taken insulin since the transplant. Yeah. That almost made me cry, Michelle. Actually, hold on. It might still give it a second. Uh. (laughs) Hold on. I got to do that wavy thing that you see ladies doing 50s movies. (laughs) Uh, 
Why does that work, by the way, when you tear up, if you just put some cool air on your face, it slows it down. Um, I don't know. I don't either. But trust me, I do it a lot while I'm making this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Uh, good for you. Um, the downside of all this is? Anything? All right. So there's lots of pills. Yeah. So over time, I'll reduce the number of pills because I'm only five months out at this point. Mm-hmm. So I have to take pills for digestion. I'm told those will go away eventually. I take anti-rejection pills. So I have three different anti-rejection pills I need to take twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um I was recently told I have a low white blood count, which could be related to some of the medicines I'm on. So you have to be very careful. I am constantly washing my hands. I'm constantly using hand sanitizer, wearing a mask in crowds and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's not just a breeze. (laughs) There's still other things you need to do, but I'm feeling better every day. I've got a scar from my chest bones down all the way down. Um, That's healed well. And I think because I was in good health beforehand, at at least I'm considering myself in good health. I think everything's healing well and doing well. Wow. Congratulations. Um, All right. So I want to walk through it. Uh, You get, you get it all set up and you find a place that's going to do both. Um, is it fair to say that without the kidney transplant, like what would your life have been like? I had already been tested for doing periodontal um, dialysis. So they were already talking about putting the tubes in, which would have been doing dialysis at home every night for eight to 10 hours every night. And then another session during the day. Hmm. So that's taking fluid into your belly, letting it sit there and draining it out every night and every day. And that's not necessary. Even if you did that every night and every day for your whole life, it doesn't mean that things wouldn't continue to go backwards, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's not like you're not stopping it in that, even though that sounds like an unpleasant way to have to live. It's not like it would never get worse than there. You would continue on. Um, exactly, the, which right. is why I wanted the pancreas because I'm hoping to slow down some of the damage caused by the diabetes. Right, and surgeons must have felt comfortable about it because they gave you the organ, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, when let's start with the day you find out you're going to get the surgery. What happens? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if somebody says, "All right, you win, Michelle. We've got a, you know, you're on the list, right? So, right. Once you're on the list. Is it a matter of matching from donors, I guess? Yes. It's a matter of matching the blood type as well as any antibodies that you currently have in your system. Mm -hmm. And I don't quite understand all of that. Uh, There's a lot of, and I've asked and asked people and they said, it's just, it's very, very complicated how they match people with a donor and you want to be as close as possible to the match so that you're not rejected. I was lucky to have AB blood type, which means I'm a universal receiver. Uh Um, I can't give to any other blood type than my own, but I can receive from all blood types. So that helped. Okay. And then what was the the amount of time between, yes, you can be on the list and hey, we have your stuff? So 
that was a Wednesday. Yes, you're you're formally listed. On Friday morning, I got a phone call at 8 a.m. And I didn't answer it because I didn't know the phone number. But then my husband's phone rang and he answered it. And they're like, okay, we have a possible donor. You need to hold on and look for this phone number and answer the phone. And if it is going to be your donor, you'll have to come to the hospital to tomorrow morning. So Saturday morning. So you have one day to get your things in order. Right. Wow. And in February, I had a new puppy born. So most of that day, so the puppy was born in February. I brought it home in April thinking I'd have all this time to train her. And so most of the day on Friday, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with her because uh, my husband works, he can't take care of her. I was working from home, which was helpful because I, you know, I could do training in between the times and take her for walks at lunch. So my kids ended up like taking her the day I went into the hospital and drove her up to my sister's house four hours away so that she could hold on to her while I was um, recovering. Let's be honest. Did your your sister do a good job training the dog? (laughs) She, she did a great job. Are you worried? If she ever listens. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, she did great. Okay. (laughs) She's, she's an animal lover. She's had animals all her life and, um, I knew she would do a great job with her. Must've so. made, it must've made your boys feel good to do something like kind of like wholesome for you as you were heading into surgery too. I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How, how about them? Do they have any autoimmune stuff? The kids? They do not. I had them in testing. I don't think it was called trial net then, but because I was in that program, I followed up um, at the children's hospital with testing from, for them early on, they hadn't had any antibodies or whatever the, things are called for the markers. Michelle, do you think it would be absolutely ghoulish of me if I said trialnet.org forward slash juice box right here? <laughs> go ahead. Go right ahead. Right, I, I, keep telling, I keep telling my son to have his um, son tested. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm all for Trialnet. Yeah. But that was probably the beginnings. Trialnet wasn't really in existence, I think, when they started because it was 91, 93. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably not. You were just getting that testing through a different... Well, you probably knew a lot of things because of the stuff you did uh, earlier in your life, right, with research. Right, yeah, right. I kind of stayed on top of that. So, yeah, they they did that. We I took them to Children's Hospital for years after that, you know, having them get different kinds of blood tests along the way. And then my younger son recently went back and had more testing done and he still did not have the markers. Um, That's so well, good for him. Um, yeah. I bet I'd be nervous too. If you were my mom, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, I understand. yeah, no kidding. Let's look one more time. Okay. I'm sorry. So now we've got the dog squared away and we're sitting around. Are you sitting in your house thinking this isn't going to happen or it like, and is it hard to feel hopeful? No. I thought, no way is this going to happen because I've read, you know, I'm on kidney groups on Facebook. I'm on kidney pancreas groups on Facebook. And, you know, the the time it takes to get tested and the number of times people have to go and wait at the hospital and then it doesn't match for some reason. So I went on Saturday. We went, got there at 7 a.m., sat and waited and waited and waited. They had to go get the organs 
Um, they had to, once they brought the organs back, they had to. So as I understand it, when they acquire the organs, they have to wait for the heart to be taken out first and then the liver. And then so the other organs get taken first and then the pancreas and kidney come out. So each doctor team oh, 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 no kidding. does their own organs. So they flew it back and then another doctor had to take a final look at the organs to make sure that they were still viable when they were back in our location. And I, I don't know who my donor was. I don't know where it came from. I don't have any of that information unless the donor family wants to tell me. Can we, can we ask you about guilt? Like two things. So did you feel like you were jumping the line because it was happening so quickly? And is it a weird thing to be happy about somebody passing away? It is, it is, it's, it's odd, but the way I kind of look at it is they were probably already on life support when I got the call. So if it wasn't going to be me, it was going to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. So that kind of helps me with the guilt of taking it from someone. Hey, Michelle, I'm happy it's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think you should feel guilty. I'm just imagining that it has to be a natural reaction. Right. Yeah. I think if I knew more about my donor, I probably have even more feelings okay. about it. But at this point, I'm just happy. I'm blessed to be able to have been on that list at the time I was and been available. I asked them when I was called, is there a backup? And they said a backup person, like if I don't get it, they will get it. And I was the only person, I guess, in the country that was a match for this organ. Mm. Good for you. I mean, yay. That's amazing. <laughs> I would have yeah. been, been like, this is nuts. Uh, I mean, it just because you were probably just resolved, right? Like this may happen. It may not happen. It's going to take years. Um, right. I yeah. thought I thought six months. I really thought, OK, it'll be a while. Um, because if it's kidney only, the wait for a kidney only is like five years plus. Or you can do a live kidney donor, which you can get quicker. And I did have people offer. that said that they would get tested. No one actually had gotten through the testing yet because they don't test them until you're formally listed. I want to so, ask you so badly if you believe the people who offered or not, or do you think they were I do. Same? Yeah, you do. Yeah, okay. I do. I do. You know what I mean, right? Like, I'm not being a, I'm not being a jerk. I'm just like, I wonder how many people just out of like, you know, like, are like, oh, Michelle, I, I'll get Sure, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I was wondering. Oh, well, this is, this is all kind I of. I had ha friends contact me because I put something on Facebook. Just, mm -hmm. I wasn't asking. I just kind of did my situation update. And two of my friends from grade school that I haven't really stayed in too much contact with over the years, both offered to get tested. How did that make you feel? Like, I, I imagine it's a, it's a, a wonderful feeling, but do you question it? Like, have you ever considered, like, I don't know if I'd give my kidney to somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was so grateful. Yeah. So grateful. It just amazed me how generous people can be. Hmm. No, it's really fascinating to me. I, 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 that's those people. I'd like to talk to one of those people. <laughs> somebody, somebody that just said, yeah, you can have one of my kidneys. I, that's uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a special statement to me. Right. 
man. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so you're it's five years, up to five years for just the kidney. What was what was the expected length for both again? They didn't really tell me, but they told me probably within a year I would find a match. Wow. Um, because because it's two kidneys or two organs versus one, and pancreases aren't in as high demand as kidneys are. Oh, I see. By asking for the pancreas as well, it moves you. So most people are just looking for kidneys. Right. Oh, so by by matching to you, we don't waste the pancreas. Exactly. I'm getting it now, Michelle. I'm really coming online here with this. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So you're in the hospital. They're like, wow, this is going to happen. Do you freak out? Are you nervous? Do you have any second thoughts? It, we waited all day long and I didn't think it was, I, I tend to think of the worst outcome so that I'm not disappointed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm more happy. So we didn't really know, you know, we're waiting, waiting. There's really no word. We're probably there. Gosh, got there at 7am. It was probably 12 to 14 hours before they finally came in and said, Hey, listen, we need to do an enema because you're about to go into surgery. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So all day long, they did not have me eating, but they just wanted to make sure your system's totally clear. Mm-hmm. And then it happened so quick. Like they put me on a stretcher, wheeled me back. My husband saying goodbye to me as we're wheeling back and I was knocked out. Is there any, um, any concern about just not making it through the surgery beyond the general concern about being put under? I think my husband was worried about that. I really didn't think that that was a chance. So, so <laughs> I just did you have that I, naively, but I just thought, hey, I'm getting this done and I'll be fine. Did you have that moment on the gurney when you looked at him? You thought he thinks I'm going to die. <laughs> afterwards after he, not at the time but oh, okay. after he, he, held, he, he held had made a couple of stray comments and i'm like huh <laughs> he didn't think i was gonna make it <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you i had my appendix out in an emergency situation and i was like on the phone to people <laughs> it's like it's like in case I, I gotta say goodbye <laughs> i don't know it doesn't seem crazy to me they're gonna put you to sleep and cut your body open I mean, I know people do it all the time, but it some some people don't react well to anesthesia. So, you know, I was doing my diligence, calling my calling my peeps, you know, letting everybody know. <laughs> but this sounds like it happened super fast for you. How long was the surgery? The original surgery was seven or eight hours. And then the doctor came back and something was too tight. So then I was in surgery for another two to three hours. So, and he had to bring the whole team back in uh, because I had gone home, went to bed. So he had to bring the whole team back in and had more surgery. Meanwhile, my husband is there in the waiting room wondering what in the world is going on and only getting, you know, bits of information back. Oh, we have to take her back in. Didn't really explain why they had to take me back in. Let me understand the process, seven or eight hours for the surgery, you come out, you're in recovery and pretty quickly they realize you have to go back. Yeah. And I was not awake. I don't remember being awake Mm -hmm. during that time. So I didn't know anything about it. Okay. Something was too tight. And then they, 
can you, you know, it's funny as you're talking about this. I'm like, how do they do that? How do they perform surgery for seven hours? I know they had two different surgeons, one for the kidney, one for the pancreas. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you, I can't stand that long. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You've got some special people because they can be called at any time, day or night, and they have to come in and do the surgery. Mm -hmm. So they're very special people or go collect, you know, collect the organs from wherever they need to be collected. My mom has to have surgery next week. And my brother had already made plans to come in to be here a number of days prior to the surgery and after the surgery. And then they up and called us yesterday and said, we need to move the surgery to the following week. And I said, uh, please don't do that. You, you know, like I, my brother's, <laughs> my brother's not a wealthy person. I don't imagine he bought refundable airline tickets and, you know, like, right. you know, stuff like that. And so she calls me back like an hour later and she goes, we're just going to do it the next day. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. The doctor's just going to attack it onto the end of his schedule. And I was like, wow, oh, wow. what an amazing thing. You know, I'll just do one more surgery on Thursday so Bev's son can fly in and see her before her surgery. And I was like, wow, exactly. some, doc- yeah, some doctors are amazing and some you don't get anything out of. Um, and I think, you know, they have a whole team of people. So I think, you know, you've got the original, the people coming in that are prepping you and the anesthesiologist and the, you know, you've got a whole team of people that do the, the closing up afterwards. So I think everyone has their specialty that they stay in for. Yeah. So I'm sure they have breaks during those, that 10, 11 hours. Still amazing. Um, so you come out, uh, how long does it take you to come to, and then what do they expect from you? They want you like nowadays they get you moving pretty quickly after surgery, but what was your process like? I, I was in the hospital for two weeks. I bet you're. I had like I had some problems, so I think most people are six to eight days. That's what they tell them. Mm-hmm. But I had some problems. Like at one point, I couldn't keep any food down. I got Botox in my stomach, um, <laughs> which was you know I joke that I got Botox, I but it didn't make me look any better. Oh, I see. Um, the I imagine what that was supposed to do is make your stomach more active to move the food through because I was having trouble keeping anything down. Mm-hmm. Then electrolytes were kind of out of balance. So I had to have fluid and magnesium and potassium and phosphorus and all those kind of things added. Were you in danger um, or is this just things they had to do? It. The, this was, ask your question again. Were you in danger or were these just steps that needed to be taken because? No, I think this is, it was pretty common Okay. for the surgeries. Just did people have different kind of Reaction. imbalances yeah, after yeah, yeah. that type of surgery. Okay. Two weeks. And, and when did the medications begin right away? Anti-rejection, all that stuff. Right away. Right away. Right away. And then for the first three months, they're really, really careful with you because you have so many anti-rejection pills at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say really within the first year, it's really important to stay healthy through that first year. Yeah. Did you um, ever hear Nicole's episodes about her surgery? I did. Yeah, I did. I, I, I've I, listened to you quite a bit and I, I'm actually still listening and I don't know why. It's kind of crazy. Um, But I contacted you back in 2016 when I had 
my A1C had gotten to 6.3. Mm-hmm. So I messaged you on Facebook and you, you said, congratulations. Then after that, I was volunteering with JDRF and trying to get people set up for booths at our JDRF tons event. Mm-hmm. And I contacted you and you said you couldn't come out to get a booth, but you could maybe do flyers or something and you never sent them. I did. And <laughs> so I'm very busy. I'm a one man show here. I'm so sorry. I, feel I know. Well, then, then you came, I think the next year or the following year and spoke. And I was amazing. Cincinnati JDRF. Tell people how good I was. You were excellent. <laughs> you, did, you, were, you talked during the luncheon. I did. I asked for that actually, because while everybody's busy wanting their own little space, I'm like, I always think everyone there has to eat and they eat at the same time. So I get to talk to everybody if I eat, if I speak during lunch. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I remember that. That was a big room. It was. And a really well run event as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 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 It was. No, I, 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 it's a, as far as those things go, I think of that one as almost a gold standard. The person who runs that chapter is um, type A in the best way. And uh, that that event goes off very, very well. I, I uh, You know, I met Chris Rudin there for the first time. Huh. Met him in person. Um, yeah, I saw him speak when he was there. Did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So, and then, oh, so, so, yeah, I was actually on a panel that day of adults with type one. Mm-hmm. Um, so the night before they had that reception and I met you briefly while you were there as well. Oh, at the home. Or is that yeah. someone's home? Yeah. What, what is, what is Arden asking me? Hold on a second. I'm sorry. You're fine. She's like, can I call? Can I call who me? I'm sorry. This is out of nowhere. I'm trying to figure out what this is. She's had trouble with her loop app earlier and I helped her through it. Okay. She's going to call me. Let's find okay. out. Let's find out why I'm together, Michelle. I'm just going to keep recording. Okay. Hold on a second. Um, hold on. I'm going to take off one of my earphones. Hey, Ards. What's up? Oh, are you home still? Uh. So, honey, the, so the problem is there's a little bit of a, um, there's a glitch in the loop app and I need to reset it. So we have to have your, the Bluetooth has to be off for like 20 minutes before we do it. That's why I had you do it when you came home. Um, well, you told me it was working. Okay. So, um, it's not going to work till we make this little adjustment in the time zone. It's a glitch in the app. So when are you coming home again? Where are you, you headed to a restaurant? Oh, okay. Well, shut your Bluetooth off, bring the food home. When you get here, come right to me and we'll do the fix. Okay. And watch your blood sugar on your Dex app yourself. All right. Bye. Sorry, Michelle. Technology let us down there. 
There's a small uh, glitch apparently in the version of the Loop app that Arden is using. And if you try to change the insulin sensitivity and the time zone in the app is wrong, it crashes the app. So anyway, I don't know if that sounds like gobbledygook to you or not. (laughs) Michelle, did I lose you? Michelle? Michelle? Michelle, my, hello, Michelle. Hello, hello, hello. Michelle, what the heck? All right, I'm going to stop the recording. Michelle? Michelle? Michelle, Michelle. Michelle? Hello? Hello, Michelle. Michelle? All right, I'm going to send her a chat. Can you hear me? Hello. This is the end of Aquarius. Why would that song pop into my head? Aquarius. Michelle. Damn it. I can hear her typing. And she's not answering me. Let me see if I have a phone number for her. I do. This is boring. There's no way I'm leaving this in. And yet every time I say I'm not going to leave something in, I totally leave it in. I've texted her. I said, Hey, it's Scott. I can hear you typing, but you can't hear me. And then I said it out loud in case she maybe would hear it. People do not want to make a podcast. It's a lot of work. And sometimes it's irritating and annoying and weird. Why is she unable to hear me? Michelle, 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 Michelle. Hello, Michelle. She is not hearing me. All right. Now I'm going to call her. Will she answer this while she thinks she's making a podcast? No, right? I can't hear you at all. Oh, okay. Michelle? Hmm. She can't hear me at all. Why would she not be able to hear me? I don't hear you. Hey, Michelle, I know we're on the phone now, but I hear you fine and you're not hearing me. So let me. I hear you through the phone. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me figure out why that is. I don't know why that would be. Are you on mute somewhere? I'm looking. That looks right. Nothing here changed. The lower left hand mute my audio. Is that. No, I didn't mute anything. I actually was like keeping you on. I was recording with you. I wanted you to hear the phone call. 
like just because I thought I didn't know if it would be interesting for the podcast or not. Like I am not muted. I'm going to mute myself now and then unmute myself again. I heard the first part of the phone call, but then it went away. Wait, can you hear me now through, through your computer? No. That's insane. There's nothing different here. All right, well, let's... Oh, I hear you now. Oh, okay. I'm hanging up the phone. Now you can hear me. Yes. That doesn't make any sense, but who cares? Um, I'm sorry. So you, you didn't hear all that. Arden's having problems. Her loop app has a glitch in it, and it crashed the app. So she's going to have to come back here in a couple of minutes, and you're going to hear me fix the app again. But she'll be in person when that happens. So I don't think anything should change on the audio. Okay. Um, okay. I am sorry. That was so long. I forget where we were, but I hope you remember. <laughs> I don't remember either. We talked about post-surgery. You were going through your medications and 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 everything you were taking after post-surgery. You told me that you um, had some trouble digesting. And then... Yeah, that was in the hospital. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Came... Sorry, we were in, uh, in Ohio. You were telling me about being there. And um, I was getting ready to ask you, ah, because you were talking about having seen the, been listening to the podcast for such a long time. So right. why why are you still listening to the show? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the stories are interesting, I guess. Yeah. Do you feel and bad for not having diabetes anymore? No, I don't feel bad. Okay, good. I do know that my body can attack my pancreas again because I am still have those markers that I had before. Those don't go away. Yeah, right. And so it, it is possible that you could just get type one again with your new pancreas. Right. Exactly. Is there so, odds yeah. on that based on other transplants? I haven't found them. People like the hospitals will track transplants like after one year, after five years, and they don't do a great job of tracking things after that. Okay. Which is kind of interesting. Gotcha. Well, let's just say that would suck. And I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> seriously <laughs> me too yeah. me too but i think the technology will be so much further by then that it won't be such a pain hmm. yeah well i mean you you really are pretty caught up well you are until all of this until you put your pump in a drawer i guess right is it like retiring did you like fold it up and put it under your underwear or something like that or i wore the dexcom for about two months afterwards because <laughs> i was afraid it was gonna get those sugars were gonna go high yeah and then it ran out one time, and I'm like, I'm not putting that back on. Why should I wear it? No kidding. So I quit wearing it. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, it really is. How how scary is it to have all this going on during COVID? It's worse during COVID. Just I feel more isolated. I can't really. It, it, my problems are kind of like COVID where you can't see COVID. And you can't see all the germs in the system. So you don't really know where it's safe to go and what's not safe to do. Yeah. So if I'm in public, if I'm in a group of people, I'll wear the mask. If I'm just around a few people, I won't. Mm -hmm. It's much more easy to find a mask than it was prob probably prior to COVID. Yeah. You go all the way using an N N95 mask? I do. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. I put one over my eyes if I was you, just in case. Uh, I know. 
I wear I wear glasses most of the time, so I'm a little protected. Yeah, I would wrap my whole head in one. Just you, uh, yeah, you'd see. bubble wrap. And people would be like, "What's wrong with her?" And I'd be like, "I just had a transplant. Get away from me." <laughs> Uh, everyone get away from me. <laughs> but the feeling of isolation is real. It's terrible, you know, so right. I feel for you there. Um, and you said the first year. But I just had a, a baby granddaughter. I have a three-year-old grandson and a newly born baby granddaughter. And I've gone over there and saw them. I wore my mask the whole time because I'm worried for her too. Yeah. But congratulations. That's lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Good for you. Um, how's your husband handle all this? Has he been helpful? Did he do like, is he like standard guy thing? Does he stand in the corner and wait for you to need something or has he kind of jumped into action? He, he tries to be helpful. I mean, when I was in the hospital, so the hospital was two hours away from Cincinnati mm -hmm. and I had to go two times a week after I was released from the hospital. So I actually had my top four brothers and sisters are all retired and they spent a week to 10 days with me and driving me back and forth because I couldn't drive for a while. But he would, when I was in the hospital, he would come home from work, drive the two hours, sit with me for two to three hours, drive home, and then, you know, wake up the next day, do the whole thing again. So That's he right. runs his own business. Yeah. So he doesn't have the luxury of just calling in sick. You yeah. know, he, he still has to do the work. Yeah, somebody got to pay for those pills. Exactly. <laughs> do you? Work? And I'm still working, so right. I I carry the family insurance. Oh, okay. Which is good That's, at this point. Yeah, good for you. That you you're able to work through the. They gave you. Would you take like FMLA, little medical leave, and then come back? Short short term disability okay. for the first three months, and then I came back, and they're allowing me to work for from home for six months because the hospital requested that I do that. Excellent. How do you like working from home? I love working from home. So I've been working from home for a year and a half now, <laughs> and it's awesome. I have to admit, I, I enjoy it myself. <laughs> I You know what I like the best is probably is just very, you know, I don't know how interesting this is to people, but I love that I can get up in the morning, do a bunch of my work, record an episode, go, you know, grocery shopping if I have to, then come back and start working again. Like it's right. so, it's so nice not to have to do stuff like that at the end of the day when you're exhausted. It's so much easier to work until you're tired and then stop at the end. I do find that I work too long because I because my job's at home. Yes. But, but um but I do like the not I do like that part of it, like getting to break up the day. I do wish I had to move around more though. And that that I don't well, think is right. I did get my puppy back and she has way more energy than I ever expected. So I get out at lunchtime and take her for walks. Nice. So I, I'm up to like, I don't know, a mile and a half a day taking her for walks. So that's good. How long did your sister have the puppy? About three months. Oh, wow. Did she have trouble giving it back to you? I think she was ready for me oh, to get her get her back. <laughs> so not attached. She's like, please, somebody come get this dog for me. She was shocked that the puppy still remembered me, but <laughs> she did. We met about halfway and picked her up and she still remembered me and came home and is very attached. That's excellent. Good for you. Is there anything we haven't gone over that I've missed? Because I don't understand the whole process. I think we hit a lot of things. I don't 
I don't have anything that I can think of off the bat. Yeah. What What is um your moving forward look like? Oh, you thought of something. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say the reason I wanted to, well, I didn't really want to be on the podcast, Did I but the you? reason I contacted you was because you can't find anybody going through the kidney issues. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of people online, but no podcast, no type one diabetes talking about complications and things like that. And I wish I, you know, I listened to Nikki, um, listen to her calls, but having people with real life experience is so difficult to find. To find. So I broke down and said, okay, I'll be on the podcast <laughs> and contacted you. And you're like, okay, set it up. Let's that, go. Yeah, that's am- I, I'm very grateful for this. And I agree with you. There aren't, I mean, listen, if you have a four-year-old that just got diabetes, I don't know how fun this is to listen to, but you know, I think there's some solace that comes from the fact that you were diagnosed, you know, in the seventies, your care is nothing like care is now, but exactly. you know, there are still people who don't, who don't pay attention and or don't have the tools or don't have the knowledge or whatever you want to say to create that you, you still can create this problem for yourself in modern times. Um, you know, it, and so it's uh, it's good for people to know what could happen. You know, people who are like, oh, my blood sugar is just 200 all the time. Well, that, that's what yours was. Right. You know, and um, and yeah. I was just naive. I'm sure there was more things I could be doing. You know, the more I talk to people or volunteer with JDRF, there are people that have been diagnosed as long and, and knew more than I did yeah. at that time. Right. Yeah. But no, yeah, you I just didn't have the the contacts access to, know to the that. information just just did not have access to the information that's why i like to have people to, on to talk about all kinds of different things because i know there are some people who are going to be like don't you know why are you tell me about complications but it's so that you understand the big picture and so that you can then apply it back to your life and think maybe i am missing out on something the way michelle was missing out on something um, right did you enjoy mike's episode about complications which one was that? Very recently. Which, it was an after dark about complications. Oh, yeah. 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 I listened to that one. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that has to be said once in a while. Like you said, because nobody talks about like, I mean, I'm I'm nearly 600 episodes into this as I'm recording this right now. No one's ever no one has ever once contacted me and said, I want to tell you what it's like to be on dialysis. You don't think there are people listening to this show who have been on dialysis or who are on it now? And no one's ever reached out and said they want to talk about it. And I understand that. But I'm saying there are plenty of people out there that might benefit from hearing from those people as well. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you did this. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. Let me just ask you a couple more questions and I'll let you get back to your life. So okay. moving your your new lease on life. Um, moving forward, is your it's about staying healthy staying away from being ill, taking your pills, but what other milestones are you looking forward to or having to reach? I want to start traveling again. So we're possibly doing something in February. We'll see. Mm -hmm. I still have to make reservations. So we'll do that. Um, Spending more time with my grandkids. That's on the top of my list. Yeah. You want to travel somewhere warm? I want to retire soon, but... (laughs) It's kind of out of the picture right now as I carry the insurance yeah. and I'm too young for Medicare. So, well, I actually am on Medicare for three years, but uh, my insurance is primary and Medicare is secondary for 30 months. Mm-hmm. 
So how did you get on but then, this early? Because of the end stage renal disease. So as soon as the transplant hit, I'm eligible for Medicare for three years. Gotcha. Okay. So but you, that only takes me to age 62. So it's still another three years in between. Until you can go on or I can get insurance. Right, right. I understand. Oh, wow. That's a little scary too. Um, yeah. man, but you'll, you'll, I'm sure it sounds like you listen, I gotta be honest with you, Michelle, you're kicking ass. So I don't imagine you can't get any of this done. You took the bull by the horns about 16 times in this story, um, <laughs> and, and ended up getting, uh, everything you needed. So I'm, I'm really impressed with you. Seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Thank good, you. Good for you. Uh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to say thank you and let you go. I really appreciate this. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate all that you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. Hold on one second. I'm going to say goodbye to you, like, privately. Okay. A huge thanks to InPen from Medtronic Diabetes for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Head over to InPenToday.com to find out more. You can also find those links in the show notes of your podcast player, the one you're listening in right now, probably, and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Don't forget, if you're a U.S. resident, please go take the T1D Exchange survey. Take it from me, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Thank you very much for thinking about doing that. All right, so we thanked InPen. We thanked you. Who do I thank you? I will. I'll thank you in a second. We asked you about the T1D exchange. What else should I say to you before I let you go? I don't have anything. Oh, my goodness. My Where are my manners? I want to thank Michelle for coming on the show and sharing her story. How crazy is that? That she got that transplant so quickly. Absolutely stunning story. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I um, Michelle sent me a note later. She said when we were talking about other autoimmune stuff in her family, she neglected to talk about her sister who had MS. She said it progressed very quickly and she passed from it at age 48. Her sister was six years older than Michelle. She asked me to add that and I wanted to, I wanted to do that for her. Okay, so again, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow in a podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you listen in an app. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend about it or an acquaintance or anybody you think might enjoy it. Tell your doctor about it. Tell somebody. Thank you. Uh, The show grows when you share it with people, and that's why I ask for you to do that. All right, that really is it now. I'm going to go. I hope you have a good day.